Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, I apologize for uh, the last couple of weeks have been kind of hectic for uh, kind of all of us uh, here at uh, Small Council Radio, but we're going to be kind of right back into the groove of things, talking about a bunch of new topics. Uh, tonight's topic is going to be about the best unit at each point cost. So uh, that will be pretty much point uh, five point units, six point units, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, we're kind of excluding uh, three point units uh, and ten point units just because I believe they don't really have any options uh, to really make it much of a discussion. We're also going to leave out uh, limit li- units that are limit one or uh, unique units because, uh, again, they they tend to be much better than anything else in the cat, in their category, and I think that's why they're limit one. Uh, for example, uh, we – taking uh, Kingsguard, for example, at six points. Uh, obviously, in, I mean, at least in my opinion, easily the best six-point unit in the game – uh, and there's really no discussion there, and it, it would kind of make for a, a slightly boring uh, episode, I think. So that's why we kind of added that restriction on there to to only add uh, units without uh, a limit one restriction. We're still going to add the ones with limit two restrictions, though. To be fair, I don't know if any of us picked any unit for any category that had limit two, but we'll see what uh, everyone has to say. Um, but yeah, uh, so tonight with us, uh, I'm going to let uh, Brett here uh, introduce our guest for tonight. I know it's been a while since we've had a guest, but uh, I'm excited to have uh, have on our guest. Uh, why don't you take it away, uh, Brett? Okay, is he is he in yet, or I'm going to introduce him, and then you're going to let him in? Uh, he's in. Okay, this is uh, Mr. Evan. And he is actually one of the gentlemen that I was blessed enough to be in a group with. Uh, He is one of the master's participants. And kind of similar to me, he and I have have something in common. We each were the single representative of our house. So there were 16 players in masters. There were eight Starks, three Baratheons, three Free Folk, one Lannister, and one Night's Watch. So Evan played the Lannisters and I played the Night's Watch. We were the only ones with with the cojones big enough to to run those factions in a Masters event where you're facing against, uh, it was the top 16 TTS players in the world. So you're pretty much guaranteed to be facing the hardest and toughest uh, medalist. And I had the pleasure of watching his game. It was a really, really good game. Uh, I'll tell you where you can find that game. But he also has a YouTube channel if you want to check out some of his content. And that is wargames.id on YouTube. But I will let him sing his own praises a little bit as well. And don't be modest. You are uh, a fantastic player. I have had the pleasure of playing you twice now. So, Good evening, Brett. Dave, can you guys hear me? Yep, hear you loud and clear. Awesome. It's actually early morning here down here in Indonesia. So I just had my cup of coffee here, and this is the first thing I do in the morning, listening to you guys' radio. <laughs> so thanks thank you. For, first yeah. of all, thanks for having us. 
thanks thanks for having me in the show um i think um that was just a little bit talk about the masters event i think that was an incredible initiative uh, i think it highlights what is currently the top 16 players and i think it's represented in all facets of the competition including all of the factions uh, not including neutrals and Targaryens, because unfortunately they're not at the level where they're needed to be. But it greatly emphasizes what is currently the strongest factions in the meta. And of course, I'm bringing Lannister because I have to represent my house. And I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure you also did the same for your Nightwatch. Yeah, I, I debated taking Starks, but um, it would not have been my true heart's calling. Um I definitely have a very special place for Night's Watch in my heart. So um, I felt good. I felt clean going in. I, I gave George a really good game, uh, similar to how you gave Rossi a really good tight game. There there haven't been any blowouts, but uh, some games have been extremely tight down to the wire, and uh, I was able to do that. So I'm happy with that. But uh, cool, if cool. you want to just give us a really quick intro, how long you've been playing A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, sure. If you played any other war games, uh, are you into the hobby side of it? Just a real quick rundown of that, and then we'll get started on the show topic. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been playing A Song of Ice and Fire since maybe about um, two years ago. Um, we've got it recently here. We've got it about you know two years ago here in Indonesia through a friend of mine. We shared both the starters of Stark and Lannister. And then because the game is so amazing, it just sort of flew off on the charts. Everybody starts playing it. Everybody starts tinkering with it. Got into like a massive competition sometime at the end of last year when we all went to Singapore. And we all met with Ben. We all had fun in the Singaporean uh, Nationals and also like the Simon Invitationals. So that was, that was also fun. Um, me personally have been playing war games quite for a long time. Um, been playing... Um, War Machine before this competitively in, in locally. We've been playing Monster Apocalypse, been playing 40K back then. Everybody else plays 40K. And, yep, I've not been in the hobby side of things. I've not been painting my own models. I've not been sort of modeling my own stuff. Only after I play Song of Ice and Fire that I've recently got into the side of the hobby side of things start watching painting tutorials, start painting my own guys. And I'm proud to say that my current Free Folk army is 100% fully painted by myself. So that was, that was an achievement. And also the, the lockdown is also helping with all the productivity. So there's that. Some, some small blessings so that I get to use my time to sort of focus on the hobby side of things. But yeah, Song of Ice and Fire has been currently the mainstay of competitive wargaming uh, down here as well. People have been playing it. People have been... Um, have been theory crafting lists, et cetera. And, you know, we've had some good fun with this game. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's great to have you on. Um, we haven't had a guest on quite a while, but things have been kind of hectic. So it will definitely be awesome to get your insight on uh, on the topic we have. Uh, but for those listening, uh, just a reminder, the, the topic is the best unit at each point cost. Um, we will be factoring every unit as uh, with all the tools at their disposal, so um, co- potential combos and commanders and attachments, uh, so not in a vacuum. 
uh, not like a one-for-one, just side-by-side comparison, but, you know, with everything at their disposal, what kind of shines the best. For example, um, you know, you put Mountain's Men next to some other uh, six-point units, and Mountain's Men don't seem all that frightening, in my opinion. But when you factor, you know, the the panic um, the mechanic that Lannisters can bring, along with some of the attachments like uh, assault veterans that can be placed inside them, I think really puts uh, Mountain's Men way up there. Um, now, Mountain's Men, to you know, clarify, is not my six-point pick, but... Uh, I think uh, that's just an example how you can take, in my opinion, kind of a mid-tier six-point unit on paper in a vacuum and put them near the top for me. But uh, let's start off, uh, we'll start with um, four-point units. Uh, This one, even though there's only a couple points in there and I wanted to add this one because of how close uh, in strength I feel the four-point units are, uh, which is uh, Free Folk Trappers and uh, the Night's Watch Conscripts. So what uh, we'll start with you, Brett. What would you kind of rate the best unit at this point cost? I gave the nod to the Trappers, and... um, a little bit of that nod is going to come from actually my game with, uh, with excuse me, our guest. Uh, he and I, our, that we played, I was running a kind of an experimental Tully list that had Eddard and Tycho uh, combined with Tully's healing. And I think once I calculated it, I think his trappers alone with Steyr, uh, counting panic tests and everything else, but they did like 50 wounds, like including hidden traps, ranged attack, and Steyr, they actually killed a whole unit of Berserkers by themselves on one flank. Just nothing but Trappers killed a whole unit of Berserkers. One unit of Trappers. It was like, oh, God, it was so brutal. Um, I give them the nod because they're insignificant. They deal automatic wounds. They zone control dire wolves. They end up being able to punch through, like, heavy cavalry units. Like, there's a lot of times, you you don't really think about how often it happens, but it happens a lot, where you've got even one of your key combat units is down to maybe one or two wounds, and you, you know, you end up killing a combat unit, and you're super happy. It's like, okay, I can surge forth and go somewhere, and then your opponent's like, if you pivot, I'm going to, I'm going to trap you. (laughs) Like, I can't even move. Like, I have to, not only, like, not only can I not surge forth, I can't even pivot because I, I can't move at all from this spot or I risk losing this unit. Um, they do that, and uh, they're insignificant. And then, as I mentioned, being able to be influenced by Steyr for a free attack that's doing D3 automatic wounds and coming hand-in-hand hand with that is the mandatory panic test every single time they shoot you. If Steyr is influencing, for the low cost of D3 hits from Steyr that they can actually end up saving, uh, you wrap that in a free folk package, and I've just seen trappers way, way, way outpunch their four points uh, over and over and over again. I've seen them do way more work than you would think a four-point unit could do, uh, and that's without even mentioning the uh, the Jarl 
who's a very, or Jarl, however you say it, is a very popular attachment for them. You pop those trappers in behind your opponent's lines, uh, and then you influence them with Dire, and they shoot things in the rear. They force you to turn around. If you turn around, they trap you. Uh, they, they can end up being really, really, really problematic. So that is why I gave the trappers the nod. How about uh, you, Chris? I know that uh, you kind of bounce between uh, Free Folk and Targaryens as your main uh, factions. I agreed with Brett on this one. I went with the Trappers as well. Uh, part of it is because, you know, I am a Free Folk guy, but I'm not going to really beat the dead horse. Brett summed up them very nicely, and I agree with all those points. How about uh, you, Evan? Oh, sorry, I was I was muting myself. <laughs> Are we talking you're, you're about good. the the recent solo um, spoilers? Because I know we've had a bunch of new four pointers um, recently been spoiled. Some of them are quite good at four points. Or are we um, sticking I with thought the about adding them. Of... I thought about adding them in, but uh, because uh, there really isn't enough like actual like play time with them to give them a fair shake. I figured uh, for this one, we'd leave them out. But uh, I think you're right. I think uh, they're very powerful, and they definitely uh, uh, could be listed as the best uh, in, in the four-point category. But I would say uh, probably just exclusive to, I think, Trappers and Conscripts, I think, are the only four points, um, if you're not counting the new stuff. What was that? There's always the mountain that rises at four points as well. Uh, he's uh, limit one, which we're also trying to exclude, mm-hmm. only because uh, the limit ones tend to be uh, much stronger, uh, and and that's why they get kind of like the limit ones uh, slapped on them, or you know because they're unique. But uh, I was giving the example of like Kingsguard being like super powerful. And in my opinion, easily the best six-point unit. So, it just uh, we're trying to uh, take out limit ones uh, because I felt like it uh, took away from kind of some of the discussion. But maybe, yeah. okay. maybe that'll add to another uh, another episode. Maybe we should do another episode where we just kind of count everything. So, with that, with that, um, with that in mind, I would have to give it a spin, and I would say probably Conscript would be up there too in terms of the four points. I think the recent buff to Conscript, giving them insignificant, really ups their playability, especially for Night's Watch, which is already starving for activation. And the additional heal on top of that is also giving them an extra amount of survivability, an extra D3 wounds. You shouldn't sleep on that. And I've had the pleasure recently to fight against uh, one of my local guys here who played a list with JR and Conscript. And that unit of JR and Conscript just won't die the entire game while holding objective <laughs> and getting two points per turn. I think um, I, I was discussing this with Brett, um, I think a bit, I think a few, a few weeks ago about this, this combo. But with JR um, in a unit of Conscript, it makes the morale six, which is quite okay. 
having them auto heal every time they activate, and then JR having them always have having shield. Plus, on top of that, even if you kill JR, that's only worth zero points. So you have a package that's really really annoying, supported by the rest of your army, and zero points if he, if, it, if he dies. Nice. Yeah, uh, I think I have to agree with you. Um, for me, between the two, it was neck and neck. Like, um, my reasoning to pick conscripts is almost like a tiebreaker for me. And it came down to conscripts just in, as a whole add way more to the faction that they're in. Whereas trappers have like a very specific kind of role there to kind of throw out those out auto wounds um i mean they obviously will do some more damage than just some auto wounds but their attack is kind of very mediocre that uh it's one of those that you're probably not expecting to do a ton of damage uh Steyer can definitely add to that um but for the most part they're they kind of have one role that they're fit into whereas conscripts you know they go against the grain of what night's watch is trying to do uh, and they add, uh, kind of like you were saying, they just they add, add that uh, extra bit of activations uh, that Night's Watch definitely needs. I mean, even just one uh, conscript unit uh, can mean the difference between you know uh, going to like a an eight activation list in in a uh, in a faction that has such high costing uh, units. So I think for me, um, conscripts just barely uh, uh, take the spot uh, as the best unit at four points. Um, next up, we'll talk about uh, five-point units. Um, so for this one, I'll start it off, and I am going to throw it out there and say that the Baratheon Wardens are the best five-point unit. And for me, this kind of comes down to the fact that they're just as defensive as, you know, Lannister Guardsmen, which have always kind of been regarded as like the defensive uh, five-point uh, starter unit. And their offensive potential is so-so, but combined with their ability to ha uh, throw weakened tokens out and use them as vulnerables, uh, is also kind of adds to their offensive potential. And then, you know, if you want to add like uh, Stormcrow lieutenants in there and really pretty much make them defensive sentinels uh, is why I would say uh, wardens kind of take the, the uh, cake for me. And I'll throw it out there that uh, an honorable mentions for me at five points are uh, Bolton Cutthroats and Stark Sworn Swords, uh, both very good uh, offensive units with lots of potential and have always pulled their weight. But yeah, Wardens uh, barely take the spot for me over those. What do you think, uh, Evan? Points, it really starts to show like basically a lot of differences between the unit composition. Um, on the offensive side of things, I would have to say Starn Swarm Sword is probably one of the best unit, basic unit in the game, simply of because of how it can potentially spike damage because of the critical ability. 
I think um, having two sworn swords uh, in a Stark list is almost kind of mandatory at this point because of just how efficient they are. I mean, they have a very good attack stats. They have critical inbuilt, and they have a decent uh, defensive capabilities of 4-plus armor and 6-plus morale. So I would give a rating of uh, Sworn Sword to be up there in terms of offensive capabilities. However, I can add probably one more thing in the five-point category. It's defensive cap- capabilities. And on that side, I give a nod to Poor Fellows. I have been playing High Sparrow list for a while, um, exclusively with, with, with High Sparrow, that these Poor Fellows are really shining. Um, they are often very underestimated because just how you know how weak they are. But in nowadays meta, where high morale units, low armor, high morale units um, has a bit more defensive capabilities than high armor, low morale units. So having you know basically guys running around at three plus morale is you know the equivalent of if you don't deal me twelve hits within one attack, you're not going to wipe out this unit in one shot. And then the poor fellow can then just activate with mercy of the mother and their inbuilt in healing capabilities and they'll be back to like fighting form already. So I would have to give um, my, my regards to those two units. Yeah, I agree. Uh, poor fellows. It's funny because, you know, you look at poor fellows and you don't, it doesn't jump out at you on paper that they're defensive, but I mean, I would argue that they're more defensive than Lannister guardsmen without a guards captain. I think uh, with the guard captain, you know, you can obviously ignore morale once, you know, one attack or one fail around. But um, just base unit to base unit, um, uh, I would say that the amazing morale offsets with the amazing with the um, amazing uh, armor save that uh, the guardsmen have, but the healing is what kind of puts. Uh, the poor fellows over the defensive capabilities of the uh, guard captain, or sorry, the guardsman. Um, but then, you know, you could add the guard captain in there, but then that means you can add the champion of the faith and the poor fellows, and now you're just healing a ton. So it's, you know, it's funny that a six armor save unit can actually be super defensive because at that point, you know, you're probably never going to fail panic so you, the unit that's attacking you has to do it by raw numbers of dice, uh, and then if you're if they can't do it back to back before you start healing, you know it could become a problem. So I would definitely have to say that uh, that is definitely a great choice as a best five point unit uh, defensively, especially. What do you think, uh, Chris? I. Was a toss-up between, like you said, the wardens or the Stark sworn swords. But like your argument, I think just based off of the the defensive capabilities in combination with some of the cards in the Baratheon deck, I gave the nod to the wardens. But I do like my Stark sworn swords though; they're just a good solid, average, all-around utility box kind of unit that can really do whatever. But the Warren's got my my slight nod. 
Yeah, I think the one downside to the Wardens when compared to the Swing Swords for me really is just the movement. Uh, the four-inch movement, you know, hurts quite a bit, but because um, other than that four-inch movement, I feel like the Wardens are pretty all-around too. Um, you know, they're because uh, Stark Fury um, only really helps you. Uh, I would say kind of on the charge where you can try to re-roll to get some more sixes for critical blow and helps you obviously if you're at one rank. But otherwise, on average, the math says that you're probably going to kill more of your own guys from the D3 than it will actually add to the total number that you end up uh, killing. Um, so So anyways, the only reason I bring that up is so Sworn Swords naturally hit on fours, and that's what Wardens also hit on. Um, uh, Sworn Swords have, uh, I believe, a, one more die like each rank than Wardens. Um, but I feel like that doesn't really offset Wardens could potentially have a vulnerable token slash weakened token uh, every round and that plus one to their... Uh, their armor save, which is a pretty big deal. Three up is, um, you know, near the best save that you can get. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's one of those, it's very close. Sworn Swords are amazing. Starks are like my go-to faction, and it's hard for me to kind of throw uh, Wardens up above them, but uh, maybe that's just like personal preference about like Stark Fury. Uh that's a funny thing though. Like in fun games, I say, you know, whatever I start fury every time because it's a fun game. It's, but like if it's a competitive game, uh, unless it's one of those two scenarios where I, uh, or three scenarios, if I charge last rank, or if there, the unit is almost dead and I need to push out like an extra wound or two, then I'll do it. But otherwise, uh, I, I tend to not start fury. What about you, Brett? What, uh, where would you kind of gauge the five-point units at? Oh, it's finally my turn. I get to talk now. And I'm just uh, you know what? Never mind. No. Revoked. <laughs> I I gave the nod to Sworn Sword. Um, it just just narrowly over the poor fellows. Uh, it's a really tough choice for me. Poor fellows. I've seen them do really really bad things. Uh, I think Evan mentioned that even somehow still people sleep on that unit. It's like they go into it and they don't realize that they're potentially going to be there the rest of the game and not get through them. Like you just think six plus defense, I'm going to mow through these guys. Like you have to have so many attack dice and it's not just the, it's not just the number of attack dice it's the number of hits. So I think statistically, if you want to be on the safe end, you need to hit them 15 times to one shot them. There's not very many things in the game that are reliably doing 15 hits. So, with that said, I still gave it to the Sworn Swords because I did play Starks in the energy event. I was able to go second place with them. I had a lot of luck, and a lot of that, uh, or a lot of that uh, fortune was based on Sworn Swords. Uh, I like them because you can kind of hang them back a little bit. You can let your Berserkers and your, you know, your Outriders or whatever, whatever heavy hitter you're using kind of go out there and do some of the work, but if things go south, you can kind of count on the Sworn Swords because of that nasty deck to go in there and get work done. And then 
if you've got the right card combinations and you've got the right things working for you, like they can become a legitimate like alpha striking unit capable of just destroying, you know, whatever they're up against. You know, you, you throw a Northern ferocity down and call Stark Fury. Why not on the charge? They literally are a five point unit of sworn brothers at that point, eight attack dice hitting on threes, critical blow and thundering. And if you own the swords, it's a free vulnerable token too. So I just look at that, and then I look at my Sworn Brothers at seven points, and like, okay, so the Starks have to take D3 wounds to get to that value, but same movement, same defense, same morale value, and I rate Sworn Brothers very, very high, and just the fact that one card can turn can turn those Stark guys into those Sworn Brothers is insane to me. Um, it's just hard for me not to put them where they are. Uh, sworn Swords are... It's just like, you know, we were talking today on the stream. It was George and his super tanky Baratheon list versus uh, Larks' Stark. And if you looked at the match on paper, I think a lot of people would say like, oh, well, Larks is never going to get through this defense. Larks is never going to be able to get through this wall of Baratheons. And, like, he's able to. That's just the Stark deck. That's the nature of Starks. Never, ever, ever count the Starks art out. And, like... I don't know. We've all played competitively. I mean, how many times have you seen, like, you've beaten the living crap out of this Stark army, and they've got, like, one unit of Sworn Swords with six dudes left, and Hodor just running around by himself. He's already called Hodor. He can't even, he can't even talk anymore. It's just Hodor running around. <laughs> like, and they end up winning. Like, they end up killing, like, three or four units. Like, I've got six Sworn Swords, and i got Hodor. We won the game, killed three units. <laughs> like it's crazy. <laughs> like, and it's it's hard not to take that into consideration when you're rating units because I know we make this joke, but like it's true. Everything is better in Stark. Like every neutral unit, it's like yeah, uh, Bastards girls are really good in this army. They might be the exception. They're probably best in Stannis list, but it's like yeah, but Starks can give them swift advance. Starks can give them devastating impact, and they can be guaranteed to make that uh, charging volley charge after they shoot. They don't have to worry about failing the charge distance. Uh, Starks can give them sundering. Starks can give them free charges. Uh, Starks can let them reactivate again. Can do everything for everybody. Awesome. <laughs> like uh, you know, John. You know John Hurley. Uh, he's not a big online player, but he's a very, very, very solid Stark player. Very good Stark player. Uh, he's been kicking my face in. Uh, with this unit of cutthroats with Rob's attachment in it. Like, <laughs> I know how good the unit is, but they always manage to, like, get a jump on me and put me in a spot. It's like I'm getting my ass kicked by cutthroats, but it's because they're in a Stark army. <laughs> so I had to give the nod to Stark, uh, the Sworn Swords over the Poor Fellows. I do love Poor Fellows. I think they're an amazing unit. They're a fantastic star, uh, tar pit. If they get a token and a dance with dragons, they're never dropping it ever. But I just got to give it to the Sworn Swords. Yeah, just so much, so much uh, combinations and so much potency out of that little five point unit. And they are very good when they're spammed too. Like you can just make a whole army of like six of them, five, six of them. And it's like, that's a viable army. Yeah, it's it's hard to deny that sworn swords are, you know, they're amazing, especially with 
not even the neutral stuff, as you had mentioned, but just Starks have a lot of great attachments, especially to put in Sworn Swords, you know, between Hodor, Serio, Pharrell, with the combination of the precision, uh, you know, if you want to put Dario, Naharis in there, uh, there's lots of great uh, attachments to just kind of put the Sworn Swords at a over-the-top. Granted, you're looking at you know, seven-point units. <laughs> yeah, well, Storm I was Pro- thinking that Storm too, but point. Yeah, I'd I mean, rather you've think the, uh, the captain at that point, though, just because Stark's uh, healing is never a bad thing, but Stark's aren't, like, aiming for the wealth. Um, yeah. So I would almost say a, a captain would be uh, that vulnerable token might be a little better than the potential to have uh, the sundering. But you never know. Like versatility could definitely be a thing. Like that you, you know, if you're gunning for the wealth, then uh, maybe a bunch of stormcrow lieutenants with uh, sword swords would be nice. But uh, kind of segue into six point units. The best six point unit in the game is a sword sword, sword swords with a. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I'll start this one off as well. Um, I'm gonna have to throw it out there that. The best six-point unit in the game is the Night's Watch Ranger Trackers. Uh, this one was sort of close for me, uh, but because uh, I have an on- honorable mention that uh, the Tully Sworn Shields are also a very, very great uh, six-point unit. They just, you know, I think uh, when you're factoring, you know, when you take all the factors in there, they're just a little too slow um for the rest of the Stark uh army. Granted you have a lot of tools to make them much faster, but uh they tend to I don't know, for me anyways, personal experience, they tend to kinda not fit as well. But with that said, with their stat lines, uh Stark Sworn Shields or sorry, uh Tully Sworn Shields, I feel like are more so a seven point unit than a six point unit. I do feel like at seven points they were just barely too much to take or hard to justify when you got all the other seven-point options with Starks. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's at six points, Tully Sworn Shields are a bargain. But with that said, Night's Watch Ranger Trackers are, uh, you know, they're amazing. Their their threat potential just adds so much uh, for a cavalry unit that's only six points throwing vulnerable tokens out there for, you know, sworn brothers to just decimate units uh, or just completely obliterate them on the charge. Uh, Not only that, having a 14-inch threat range between a free 6-inch maneuver, shifting 2, and then shooting uh, your short-range bow uh, is also something that's always scary and always kind of sucks. It also gives... uh, you know, for me, I absolutely love going first uh, whenever I can. I know uh, that's kind of a topic we've covered in the past that, you know, some people like to go first, some like to go second. Some, it, it just depends on the mission sometimes. Or if you are a, a Night's Watch player, there's a lot of benefits to going second with Ranger Trackers because it allows you to then... Um, move right up within six inches of the opponent 
and shooting them because you have a 14-inch threat range. I mean, unless your opponent's really going to stay back that that far, uh, they're going to have to move up within that threat range a lot of times. And then you move up, uh, shoot them, and now because you have first activation next round or in the second round, you can now move them out of danger. So I think these guys, you know, especially combined with a lot of the um, uh, – buffs that you can give uh from night's watch uh definitely makes them you know something to fear on the field what about you chris where would you kind of rate the six point units so i went oh against conventional wisdom here and i went with my bread and butter and i put the the bone boys as my top choice because, A, in my free folk lists, I don't leave home without these guys. And when you throw in some of the free folk cards, especially, like, Endless Horde, if I get these guys back, they're just too much fun. They're good. And if I can recycle these guys at least once during the game, that was, like, six points well spent. Yeah, and there's a lot to say about, you know, the the having the villain I always get the I always want to call it heroic visage, uh horrific. And there's a lot to be said about the horrific visage and then the vicious that they uh you know were changed to. Uh and then even just the attachment of the um what's the attachment called again? It's the champion of bone okay yeah the champion of bone i wanted to call it the bone lord's chosen but that's the name of the the limit uh one unit uh anyways these guys are in a like a harmout list too. throw these guys on the flank of these things and they're gonna do some some eating oh not only that but even maybe a uh a rattle shirt uh list where you can i think it's uh, grizzly trophies Mm mm-hmm Yep. Uh, throw grizzly trophies on there, and you know if uh, after you've killed a, a rank of something, and then now you know if you can get like in the flank with these guys, you got vicious one for the flank, and then possibly another one or two for uh, the amount of ranks lost in the enemy's unit. Uh, you can really start to uh, stack on the modifiers. And if you have everybody's favorite I'll- NCU of Steyer on there throw him while he's on the flank and man these guys are just having a great time yep yeah they definitely got a huge boost when they got changed uh they went from very i don't know i'd I'd say not unusable just not very attractive on paper to uh one of the best six point units in the game um they they just were added so much offensive potential that you know they could really put in some work uh, what would you say, Evan, about the six-point category? We're at a weird point in the meta where I would say one of the best six points in the game is no longer being used in any Lannister's army. I mean, that title used to belong to the Mountain's Men. At six points, you're getting a unit with critical and fishes. So on paper, they hit much, much higher than their pay grade. However, as I've mentioned earlier, 
right now we're at a weird point in the meta where basically uh, medium armor and low morale, uh, high more, um, sorry, uh, seven plus morale unit is actually not being used because the potential of the melting is just so much higher than their counterpart where you have low morale and like low armor. So even though I would say mountains men would deserve a recognition for being up there in terms of their cap- capabilities because they can hit so much higher than they pay great. No Lannister list um, I've seen in TSL, I've seen in anywhere, uses Mountains Men. They're just not being used anymore. So that's really unfortunate. I really like Mountains Men, but at this point, it is what it is. So for my six points, I would have to give it the Ranger Trackers. I think, I think Brett has mentioned already the strength of Ranger Trackers. And um, I personally think it's one of the most powerful units that the Night's Watch have. I know that the the joke is that the Tracky Outriders is a bit like Ranger Trackers, except they cost seven points because they need to put in put in the co. Plus, they don't have melee. <laughs> so the, the joke is that a, fac- a faction who traditionally doesn't have a cavalry, um, Night's Watch, up against probably the best horse archer in terms of lore wise, and the Ranger Trackers come out on top. So that's that's a bit of a fluff uh, fluff disconnect there, but yes but can't deny the effectiveness of the Ranger Trackers at six points. But second point, uh, second place, I would have to say Mountains Men. Um, I just hope to see that there's some, some sort of changes to um, the current state of things, because right now they're just not being used, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I absolutely love Mountains Men. My wife plays Lannisters, and uh, her favorite unit is Mountains Men. I actually own six units of them because... She just she likes running like all uh, like lists of all mountains men sometimes, uh, and yeah, it's a shame that you don't see more of them. I mean, because uh, they basically were um, sworn brothers before they got changed a bit, and I would say in in context of the faction that they're, you know, they're even better than sworn, uh, sworn brothers, you know, that you save that point that you can throw an assault vet. So if we were to compare kind of, uh, I know a little off topic, but if we were to compare uh, from a six point unit with an assault vet to the sworn brothers, you know, I would take, uh, I would take mountains men with an assault vet in a heartbeat over uh, sworn brothers at seven points. Um, you know, you, you may be losing that sundering. Uh, so I think, I think that's where people are kind of not seeing the appeal to them. You know, vicious and critical blow is amazing, but maybe it, uh, it just has to do with, you know, the sundering is such a big deal, whereas vicious tends to not be as big of a deal. But the problem is being in Lannisters, you have enough, uh, morale uh modifying that even like above average morale uh lists should still have a hard time if you know you have Cersei in there uh you know you're playing uh the cards in the tactics deck for it um if you're playing uh where you can place your own terrain you can throw some course files out there i think uh vicious goes a long way um so I think, uh, yeah, I was mentioning at the beginning of the show, you know, I guess it was kind of an honorable mention in itself, you know, that Mountains Men are amazing at six points, and they're uh, 
I'm surprised more people don't take them. What do you think, Brett? Um, I also gave it to the Ranger trackers. Um, when Night's Watch first dropped, obviously you know Gary was running uh, that Night's Watch list that I think everybody saw in 1.4. Uh, John Snow and Veterans, two Sworn Brothers, two Ranger trackers, Bowen Marsh and Amon. But uh, it was always the Ranger trackers that drove me up the wall. Like I could deal with the Sworn Brothers, get them off the board, and just ignore John. It was the Ranger trackers getting behind me, getting over to the flanks, constantly making me vulnerable. They were always, always the issue for me. Um, and they've always stuck out to me after playing Gary so many times. When I went and started playing Night's Watch, I played Awful initially because at the time nobody was running Awful. But I saw that his cards uh, could work for ranged attacks. Ranger trackers with Awful cards are so unbelievably amazingly disgusting but they are so good they're capable of putting out so much damage uh like evan said it's weird you would think that the outriders would be like the best horse archers but it definitely goes to the ranger trackers and it's even more more so to the ranger trackers when you consider awful's cards but uh they're just good they're super fast they do have a melee attack their melee attack's actually not terrible i charge with mine a lot of the time uh, if I really, really, really need to secure a kill and I don't trust, like, I'm, if I roll seven dice with no rerolls, if I don't trust it, like, say I need four wounds and maybe I'm attacking them in the rear and they're vulnerable, like, one would think that I could roll the seven dice, get the four hits, and push them through. Like, no, I'll just charge because I like my chances with six melee attacks hitting on fours with rerolls to get me those four hits. So... But they're good at charging uh, Knights of Castle Rock, tying them up. They're good at charging Tully Cap and tying them up. And even if they're engaged, they can, as long as they can see the target, they can still throw out like a thing, throw that alley oop vulnerable. Like, here you go, Sworn Brothers, slam dunk. Like, I'm holding up the Knights. I got you. Go, go kill those guys over there. Here's a vulnerable token. <laughs> but it's, they're awesome. Like, it's hard to argue with them. They do so much. And they're misleadingly survivable because, like, um, I think a lot of times when I see Night's Watch players, like, they feel like, well, I have to save the Shield of the Realms of Men for my commander's unit. Like, throw it on your ranger trackers. Like, make them a little bit more survivable. Make them take that hit. Uh, if you've got an opportunity when you control the swords, then, as I mentioned, if you need something dead, throw a sword in the darkness on them. Give them eight attack dice hitting on fours. Give them a chance. Throw the fire that burns the cold on them. They can hand out a vulnerable and maybe a panic token, maybe a weakened token to boost their survivability. Like, they are very, very versatile because of the Night's Watch deck. And I think I've said pretty much from the beginning, just observing Night's Watch players and playing them myself, um, like, I just feel like you can tell a person that has a really good grip on that faction based on how well they play Ranger Trackers. Like, if they play Ranger Trackers to great success, don't lose them, keep them alive, and, and just use them for their strength, uh, it tends to show that, that they understand the faction a little bit better, in my opinion. And uh, I just couldn't imagine building a Night's Watch list without them. So they got the nod from me. And I gave Stark Bowman my uh, my honorable mention, but I think Lannister Crossbows deserve that as well. 
But if you think about it, Lannisters have three good six units. Like, Mountain's men are good. Um, I would kind of... I, I get where you're going with the assault veteran. I would lean towards a guard captain to shore up their defense in the Mountain's men over the assault veteran. But Lannister crossbows are really good, and Lannister halberdiers are also very good at six points. So um, it's hard to leave them out, but just the Stark bowmen for the amount of work that they can do being able to park behind a palisade or even half of their front covered by a palisade and still shoot whatever they want on the board, not to mention Roderick's commander in Bowman being so, so good. It was actually really hard for me to to give the trackers the nod over the Bowman just because I've seen Bowman do so, so well. And they're actually really hard to track down and get to. Um because you've got so many other things that the Starks present that's really, really scary. Uh, sometimes the, the bows get lost in translation, and then that's a mistake, because if you let the bows have their way and shoot into combat, trigger direwolf's fervor when you control the swords, they become a very deadly unit. So uh, it was a little bit tough. Giving it to the Ranger Trackers, the next honorable mention goes to the Stark Bowman for me. Yeah, and one thing to bring up that you were talking about with... Uh with the ranger trackers and for me like my rule of thumb for range units is always like a two to one ratio so you know for every one ranged unit i have two actual like two full combat units so not like solos or anything uh, or i should say not like dire wolves but as long as it's something that can reliably tie things up and keep them from getting to your ranged units and so I do like a two-to-one ratio. So if I want two ranged units, I need to somehow get four combat units in there. But cavalry ranged is like the exception because they're so maneuverable and they're able to like kind of get away at a moment's no, uh, notice if they do get charged, uh, you know, either between some tactics cards or, you know, you take the free retreat and then you just zip by them. You know, uh, I think that just kind of adds to it. Whereas, you know, the infantry range units are a lot different. You know, they're a lot more static, a lot more vulnerable to being, you know, charged and then being stuck in that situation, especially if you're out activated where even if you retreat, they just keep recharging you. So uh, I think that just kind of adds to, um, you know, kind of one of the strengths of the ranger trackers. Uh, I would almost I would go on to argue that there, you know it's uh, that ranger trackers could even be a seven point unit and still would be taken just as much as they are now, uh, as long as you know the specific list in mind wasn't like extremely strapped for that one extra point. Um, yeah, it's the amount of damage they can put out, especially like you were saying, uh, Brett, with uh, Othel Yarek's uh, cards, you know, giving them sundering re-rolls and, you know, all the different uh, abilities that uh, his cards can give, especially when he can go tutor them uh, at any point when he claims his own, is just, you know, it it can really uh, uh, add to their potential. Um, next up... Uh, We'll talk about uh, the seven-point unit. Uh, Chris, why don't you take us away with this uh, with this bracket? 
So for this one, I chose the Umbar Berserkers. Back when the game first came out, I was a start guy. Those guys, of course, came in the starter set. I played them. I always loved the play style of the Umbars. You know, I was a great John guy, and you know me, all offense, offense, offense. And these dudes are offense. And as we talked about before, you know, synergizing with the deck and the cards that the Starks have. And, you know, back when the first came out, you know, Catelyn was always a a staple on the Stark list and throwing her on these guys. So even at full ranks, they're throwing out your 10 dice uh, on the charge and with all the goofy cards that you can throw out there, the damage these dudes would throw out was pretty awesome. So that's why I gave it to the Umbar Berserkers. Yeah, and to kind of touch on that, uh, you know, I, uh, for my pick is also the Umbar Berserkers, and, um, I mean, these guys are basically, you know, offense incarnate. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, they just get more dice as they get hurt. You know, when you're looking at 8, 9, 10 as your dice amounts, I mean, it's insane. Uh, if you can kind of do what I do with my strategy for my, like, main list and add, you know, some healing in there with uh, um, Blackfish Commander and some NCU's healing, I mean, giving these guys more survival, you know, survivability just makes them that much more dangerous because, you know, they're hitting at, uh, they're hitting with three or better, uh, on three or better with eight, nine, ten, all game. I mean, with thundering, uh, with how fast they are to, and the Stark Tactics deck to easily get into flanks and stuff for minus twos. I mean, it's insane how many times I've gone into games down one, sometimes two combat units because I run like four uh, four units um, with some uh, with like a direwolf or. Uh, or two and you know I just I can obliterate uh, units in like a one-two punch sometimes if I'm super lucky if I got Catelyn on there and they feel a panic and I you know I just roll really well on my charge dice uh, and they roll bad you know it obliterate them just on a charge um, especially combined with like set for charge if they charge me then I take the free attack um, you know it's these guys have so much offensive potential while having that amazing uh morale save you know four up is you know you're going to be passing probably all but maybe one the entire game uh you know that's that's assuming they don't have something like vicious uh vicious definitely will make you fail a couple more throughout the game but um, but yeah, without any other modifiers, even just a minus one, I mean, I'd say on average, I usually only feel like one panic per unit per game with these guys. And uh, with that said, that makes their five up save, you know, which is below average, but uh, it's not that big a deal, especially, like I said, you combine it with all the healing that you can add to these guys uh, with the Starks. I mean, the amount of healing you can get with Starks uh, if you run Blackfish and, like, Eddard and Tycho 
is comparable to the healing of Night's Watch, and in some ways you could argue, argue that it's the same. Um, so, yeah, these di- these guys definitely take the cake for me. Um, maybe it's a little biased because, like I said, uh, Starks are my go-to, and Berserkers have always been like my favorite unit in the in the whole game. But uh, these guys just have so much potential to just completely wipe. Uh, most things out there and um the only i mean they only have like one real weakness and that's like a charge like a really good charge from like uh like a lance cavalry um and even then because of their great morale uh you're not looking at like just auto being dead a lot of times you're still going to get to at least swing back one more time before uh you know, before they try to finish you off. So these guys at seven points easily, uh, I would almost even say these guys are bordering on eight points. I wouldn't put them at eight points, but I think they'd be better off maybe like um, uh, with a a slight nerf, maybe just like a five-up morale instead of four-up might make a little more sense uh, with uh, just how good they are. Yeah. See, that's the thing, though. I try to, even though they're my, you know, Starks are my go-to, I definitely like to still advocate for some uh, some fairness, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so Berserkers definitely take take it. Uh, and honorable mentions are Knights, uh, ba- excuse me, so Bolton, Bastards Girls first, kind of like second place, honorable mention. Uh I mean, they're so versatile in so many lists with so many combinations that, I mean, Bastard Girls are so great. Uh, just them in, like, one of my favorite combos with uh, um, Stannis. Uh, uh, I forget what he's called. The the starter Stannis. Um, just the combos with him that can basically auto-kill nearly any one unit with the right cards just because of sheer auto-wounds and number of attacks that, uh, I mean, just Bastard Girls are amazing everywhere. And then the other honorable mention, kind of more of like a third place for me, is the Night's Watch Sworn Brothers. Uh, You know, you factor how many abilities that can add extra dice, and you can get these guys up to something stupid like... um, plus five dice or something like that. So you're looking at 13 attacks hitting on threes with Sundering. It's it's nuts. So these guys uh, definitely, uh, they get way up there on the list for me. What about you, uh, Brett? The uh, the top rating, seven-point unit, to Bros Knights. Um, I know that people will argue that, oh, you can avoid Rose Knights and you know, uh, things like this, but uh, sometimes you can't. Um, I know Forioku, uh, uh, Evan's probably pretty familiar with him, uh, is running a list that's three Rose Knights and then uh, Brienne in a unit of Bastards Girls, and it's a Renly 1 list. Uh, Rose Knights are already really good, but then when you mix in some of Renly's healing cards, you mix in um, Stag's Resilience, the Wealth Zone, uh, I've seen Tycho used just to spread his burst around, just to start doing automatic wounds. Um, Rose Knights are just 
they're just a unit that if you don't choose your way that you're going to attack them and you don't wipe them out quickly, if you get into a grind with them, you don't stand a chance. Um, I remember specifically uh, playing Grusalug. It's uh, Craig Norick. I believe he's from Canada. Uh, we were playing, I think it was round five, and we were basically, it was like the battle for second place because all of us, uh, except for a few, had already lost one game. And he was running some Rose Knights, and I had an opportunity to flank charge them with Tully Cav. And I felt pretty good about the charge. Uh, I had the ability to make him vulnerable, and I believe I had devastating impact too. So I was like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going in. It's going to be cool. And then, like, uh, bad things happened. Like, I did 11 wounds, so they lived. He played younger, bolder, far more comely, and ended up healing four wounds. So he dealt an auto wound because he healed from the card. He dealt an auto wound because he passed morale. Then he played Hours of the Fury, dealt an auto wound, and attacked me. Then when he activated, he played Stag's Resilience, did D3 plus 2 auto wounds, attacked me again, and did an auto wound, and I was dead. And, like, I charged him. He was pretty much full health or, like, 10 or 11 after I had just flanked him with Tully Cav and a vulnerable token. And But I'm not the only person. Like, this is something that happens. Like, uh, free folk, a lot of times, um, unless they can just beat them in the token game, free folk aren't really super great at fighting Rose Knights. They're just not able to to stand in there and trade blows with them. Eventually, you do have to kill them, but they just struggle to kind of wear those units down. Um, I really think that Rose Knights are, are fantastic. Um, it was tough for me because I do like Sworn Brothers and I like Bastards Girls as well. Um, and as you mentioned, with some of the pure offensive potential you can put into Sworn Brothers, uh, even Awful giving them precision, Lord Snow adding attack dice, Dario and Harris adding attack dice, Sword in the Darkness, Corn Half Hand. Uh, God forbid if someone marks them in Fire and Blood, they can end up having more attack dice than Lance Cavalry. So it can get pretty intense. But for me, it's Sworn Brothers. There's, or, I mean, it's Rose Knights. There's just not in my mind many other units that are such a like field deterrent. Like you just absolutely don't want to be engaged with this unit no matter what. And uh, for that, I give them the nod. They demand respect. They're oh amazing with Courtney Penrose as well, who's a very strong commander. So that is my choice. Yeah, well, we're all entitled to our opinion, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, Rose Knights. I mean, they're they're definitely another one of those units that are arguably way better than their point value, like arguably eight points. Um, especially when you combine all the combos that you can do, as you had just mentioned with them. Um, the other thing you can compare them to is like stag knights. Uh, if you made rose knights eight points, I still think I would take them over given the option. Like if I, were, if I had eight points left over and I was picking a unit, you know, I think I would choose rose knights over, over the what the stag knights offer. So 
Uh, and I think that's kind of what is driving each of these uh, best uh, unit and each point limit are the ones that are so good that you could almost, you could argue your way into saying they should be in the next bracket. Um, you know, for example, like conscripts. I mean, conscripts being insignificant, you could easily argue these guys into five points. Um, uh, Ranger trackers, argue them into seven points. Berserkers, you know, I'm going off kind of my list, but uh, uh, Berserkers being an eight-point unit and so on. So it's just, it's one of those things that I think uh, the units that kind of shine through as the best are the ones that are, you know, really teetering on to the next point bracket, uh, some more than others. But, uh, but yeah, no, Rose Knights are definitely very dangerous. Uh, with it. You kind of have to build a list around them in a way, not like you're super limited because they do have a lot of things that you can uh, do to work with them, but uh, you do kind of have to be mindful of the combos uh, in order to really make them shine. Like you were saying, Tycho uh, or um, Penrose or just, you know, making sure that you uh, are just healing whenever you can with your commander on them. So, uh, how about you, Evan? Where would you kind of place uh, the best seven-point unit in the game? Well, I think you guys have pretty much already said what are the other seven points in the game. But I think I just want to give a bit of extra highlight to the, the Berserkers. I think the Berserkers are the prime offender of low armor, high morale units, but with like a super, super offensive capabilities. I think they are like the prime offender. If you don't basically 12 hit a Berserker, they will, they will kill you back. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. You don't want shot a Berserker on the charge, and you need 12 hits minimum to do that. Um, and the only way to do that is by lucky crits of so Knight Charge, Swarrow uh, Charge, Mountain Man's Charge. They will survive, and they will punch you back for 10 hit with Sundering. To mention that they will most likely have Hodor or some other nonsense Stark uh, children, so they will <laughs> they will kill you back. I mean, a unit of unit of Berserker with say like one of the Stark kids, like say Hodor. You charge in Berserkers, you get minus two days. Your charge is immediately basically just uh, just crippled, and you can't one-shot the Berserkers. If you have Rickon and Osha, they will um, basically go down fighting, and they will deal you minimum two wounds on, on the on the hit bat, and they'll punch you for 10, 10 hits with Sundering. So, yeah, Berserkers deserve like a, definitely a scary mention because of just how you are in a pretty damning position if you need to basically commit to an alpha strike against a Berserker. Because there is simply no good way of doing that, not without extensive support, like for example, with some Walder or some Tywin beforehand. But yeah, just the amount of forces that you need to sort of one-shot Berserker is quite, quite a lot. And their stats, five plus armor, say four plus morale, definitely contributes to that survivability. On the flip side, I think um, the Simon uh, development team recently have made some very good seven pointers. Definitely with the new batches coming out for Baratheons, and by this I mean Rose Knights. I think Rose Knights are sort of the, um, I guess, golden standard of a seven-point unit. They are a premier commander bunker, because I think most of the Renly side commanders would like to be inside a Rose Knight. They are 
highly survivable, plus morale, six, uh, three plus armor and six plus morale. They have inbuilt healing, and they do damage while they're 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 healing up and when they're attacking. So, and so, but Rose Knight just embodies everything that is Baratheon. You want the unit, a tough frontline unit that can survive an alpha strike. You want a commander bunker to sort of sit there and also deal so much, so much damage as well. Because if you say like you put your commanders in a warden, they will 100% ignore that unit for the entire game. Rose Knight, they might ignore it, but Rose Knight can also have some sort of fighting capacity as well with eight dices and a bit of extra punching power. So you're, you can't really ignore a Rose Knight for too long, especially also with, if you have Renly, so they're attacked with 10 dice. Even though they have no abilities, but it's still 10 dice hitting at your face. And with all the Baratheons engaged cards. So those two are definitely on the spectrum of seven pointers. One, you have a very sort of um, offense unit with a combination of low armor and high morale. And then on the other side, you have a very defensive unit with a combination of high armor and medium morale. So that's definitely the direction they have in these uh, seven pointers. And because of these two directions, those two are basically the premier seven-pointers in the game. Um, my honorable mention for seven-point would be the Stark Outriders. I think the Stark Outriders definitely weren't being seen up until the patch recently. They just got hit with us. Well, by recent, I mean like at the start of the year. They went on from becoming like a very sort of meme unit that hits on a four plus with basically no T to hitting on three pluses with like massive debuffs when you're attacking on the flank. And at seven points, with practically a very high survivable rate, because you can't lock them down with melee. If you lock them down with melee, they just retreat. And they will get on your flank because they have speed six. I think Stark Outriders definitely uh, deserve a mention. Um, so, which also pushes Stark also. Be- at, two, the, at the two seven points, you have Berserkers and you have Outriders. So Stark is definitely sitting well at seven points department. And I think, I, think, uh, I think those two units are also really, really good in the Stark list. So I expect to see at least one Berserkers. And you have an, a choice of cavalry within Outriders or Tullycalf, which we'll probably discuss in a bit. So yeah, those are my, um, my, my thoughts for the seven points. I think that should cover the spectrum well. Yeah, I agree. The Outriders are definitely a great uh, mention. Um, Outriders are, again, one of those units that could easily be uh, an eight-point unit, I think, when you compare them to all the other kind of like cavalry um, that are similar. Uh, Just the amount of dice they're throwing, you know, they're hitting on threes, and their abilities is just amazing. Uh, Their speed... So these guys uh, definitely are a force to be reckoned with, and I, I definitely uh, they're definitely high on my list as well. Um, with that said, we can jump on over to eight points. Uh, I'll start us off with saying I believe the best eight point unit uh, is Knights of Castle Rock, uh, with an honorable mention being uh, Knights Watts vets. I think Knights Watts uh, veterans are amazing at eight points the problem the only real problem they have i think is that uh, a lot of smart players will avoid them you know they uh i guess if like you run Yarik, you can give them a little more bite but otherwise i mean they're just throwing uh what is it eight dice 
0.876, so they're not degrading much. Um, when you take out a rank and they, you know, between their healing and their defense, it's just, it's hard unit to crack. So it's usually better to just leave them alone and focus on other things. So with that said, I think Nice Little Casterly Rock take, uh, take it from me. And that's because they're a lot more of a threat all the time. You know, you have to go out of your way to make sure you get in the charge off on these guys. But with them being cavalry, it's hard to do that. It's hard to, uh, without getting the beat on them, to uh, charge these guys before they charge you. Just because their threat range is so, you know, they have so much of a threat range. Now, I will mention uh, one kind of combo uh, since Justin uh, wasn't able to make it tonight. Uh, that Justin loves doing is, um, is it uh, Cruel Methods? It's the one where you get the free attack at the beginning of the round. Uh, Justin loves uh, moving his cut or his uh, Bastard Girls as far up the field as he can, knowing that the opponent's going to have the first action next round, and so they'll move their knights or uh, technically any other like unit, uh, really, but this he loves doing it to knights in particular, and maybe Tully Cav. They move them all the way up, knowing that they're going to be able to get that charge off first. And then he plays uh, um, the free attack at the start of the round, and shoots, and then charges them, and then now they're engaged and unable to, uh, um, you know, charge. Let's see. Yeah, cruel methods is what it's called. So. Uh, Granted, you know, he's not probably not going to kill the unit, so he's going to take a morale at minus three, so puts him at eight. But, I mean, uh, it's still an, it's not an easy morale to pass, but it's, it's not too bad. So definitely a nice combo to kind of counter these guys. But otherwise, um, you know, Knights Castle Rock have so much potential to, you know, one-shot a unit. Uh, I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me uh, where Tully Cav have one shot a Berserker unit just simply from rolling so many criticals and me only getting six up saves, especially if they were able to vulnerable me without me having the ability to take it away. Um, not only that, uh, Lannister Supremacy uh, just really adds to the defensiveness of these guys, you know, you never want to attack them. And then, unfortunately, I mean, this is sort of another topic, but uh, I don't like that uh, Lannister Supremacy works on ranged attacks. And, you know, the fact that uh, trying to shoot these guys uh, is, you know, problematic. So that's kind of where I put the eight points for me. What, uh, where would you uh, put your eight-point unit, uh, Brett? I also gave this nod to Knights of Castle Rock. Uh, it's not just for their ability to go and just blow things off of the board, but they are a very good zone control unit, and they're kind of like a big target on the battlefield. They're like a big distraction. So um, your opponent tends to kind of throw whatever they can throw at them to try to keep them from charging and you can use that to your advantage and set up big plays with some of your other units. Um, and it's also Lannister Supremacy. The, the, the panic meta is so strong right now. Um, they have a relatively good morale at six, 
it's not an order, so they've got the chance to trigger it numerous times. Um, a lot of times people don't even want to attack them with certain units just because they're afraid of Lannister supremacy doing more to them than they did to the knights. So when you consider the Sparrows cards and you consider Wealth of the Rock, uh, they've already got a pretty stout three-plus defensive save, so they're really, really hard to bring down anyway. And when you mix in some of those cards, it's entirely possible that you take more damage for attacking them than than uh, you did to them. So they're just super scary for me. Um, I used to feel like once they were bogged down, they were kind of useless. But uh, again, you know, with the panic being so strong in this meta, they don't, I mean, they're not great in a static fight, you know, six dice or three dice hitting on three plus, but it's the supremacy. They're capable of grinding you down. Uh, they're just a really good all-purpose unit. Uh, my next closest to them is actually the Warrior Sons. Um, without an attachment, I'm going to say that they need to be in a high sparrow list to where his card can start triggering their faith tokens, but this is a unit that just doesn't want to die ever unless you shut their abilities off or you've got the capability of getting in their flank, providing vulnerable tokens. Uh, it's just another thing, you know, once you get them down to one rank and they're at a two-plus save, almost never failing morale. Uh, it's in a static fight. Like if you've just got, if you're trading blows with Warrior Sons, I think you're losing that fight almost every time. So I rate Warrior Sons really high. But gave the nod to the Knights. Yeah, with the Warrior Sons, uh, like you were mentioning, uh, if you're not going to add an attachment, you kind of have to run them with uh, High Sparrow. I kind of hope in the future uh, they add another attachment option, something that will also auto-trigger the the pan, uh, the Faith token, but maybe give it a, a different effect. Uh, that would be kind of kind of cool to have a couple uh, different uh, Faith attachment options. What about you, Evan? Where would you kind of throw your uh, eight-point unit at? Well, there's really only one option um, right now for eight points that are really good, because everybody's already mentioned our favorite Knights of Castle Rock, which is also one of my favorite experience um, playing Lannister Mirror. I think uh, when I've had my fair share of Lannister Mirrors, and Knights of Castle Rock charging into Knights of Castle Rock, you could sometimes get, you know, you could actually have more of your own, un- own units dying compared to their Knights of Castle Rock on the charge. So that was definitely interesting. Um, uh, the supremacy, yes, a lot of a lot of people have commented that supremacy is one of those uh, negative uh, play experiences uh, mechanic, which in in some ways agree, but it is also a detriment because even though Lannister has um, a lot of defensive uh, defensive cards, you have Wealth of the Rock, well, actually only Wealth of the Rock, and their inherent three plus armor safe, but they don't have a lot of things that prevents people from attacking their units and just chipping down and forcing them to take like morale test. So having supremacy on a knight is definitely uh, a signature ability that, you know, you don't necessarily want to do chip damage on these knights. When I was playing free folk um, up against one of my friends, Lannisters. Um, yeah. I was trying to chip the knights of Castle rock, but I ended up getting chipped myself and I have more of my own trappers dying compared to their knights of Castle rock. So Definitely, uh, supremacy is there for a reason. 
Uh, I don't think they need to be changed, um, considering how Lannister is now performing also in the meta. But at eight points, definitely Knights of Castle Rock is one of the premier eight points in the game. Um, so it's just simply how they are fishing in the Lannister army. They are currently the only unit in the Lannister army that is capable of alpha striking and you know, reaching out to the opponent and doing some, some initial damage to them is what they do best. And then just staying them there for the rest of the game while taking punishment and then the rest of the army moves in. So definitely Knights of Castle Rock at eight points. The mention I would give, and this is quite interesting, I just really I just remembered that um the bonus chosen is eight points. So I've had only a couple of games against the Bone Lord Chosen. Um, I think I was practicing my TL game again then. Um, and he had a Bone Lord Chosen. Uh, and, you know, I tried to attack the Bone Lord Chosen, and then my units just stopped. He had a, he had a Weeper attachment nearby. So when I decided to attack the Bone Lord Chosen, I declared attack. I got Horrific Visage. I got cut them down. So I took like five wounds just trying to kill those guys. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> Bonelor's Chosen, yes. So definitely, I mean, Bonelor's Chosen is up quite interesting with eight points. Just right now, with the addition that you have Rattle Shirt, it makes them 10 points. So if you're not using Rattle Shirt Commander, you know, I think there are a lot of better conversions people on Rattle Shirt. So it is a 10 points package rather than just an eight points package. But most Chosen, yeah. I would say that's a very interesting unit at eight points. Yeah, the Bone Lord's Chosen, uh, uh, they're they're especially great when you're combining them with the Endless Horde. Uh, I know for a long time people didn't realize that you could use the Endless Horde with them, but on the Endless Horde there is no stipulation on what uh, what infantry or what unit in general. I forget. What, I just know it, there is no stipulation on it being a unique unit. So if you could endless hoard the bone Lord's chosen twice in one game, I mean, that's 16 free points that you pretty much got. Uh, so, I mean, eight points is a bit pricey for them, but just for the fact that you have the endless hoard, this amazing use unit is, uh, you know, is worth it in itself. Um, and like you were saying, uh, you know, it's a little more pricey if you run the rattle shirt uh, attachment. But I don't know. I'm a big. Uh, I know everyone really likes Weeper and Harma and even like Stire. I'm a huge fan of rattle shirt uh, commander. Um, his attachment cards are amazing to really add to that offensive potential uh, and really push through a lot more damage. Um, Chris, uh, where would you kind of put the eight-point unit? I'm going to take a wild guess. Is your, uh, something in you is not going to let you pick a, a Lannister unit. Man, your ESPN must be working on overtime today. Because <laughs> I am indeed going with the Night's Watch veterans for many of the reasons that Brett described, but mainly because I will not vote for a Lannister unit. So the <laughs> veterans get my nod. Yeah, veterans. I mean, man. I mean, there is definitely is a lot that you can add to them to make them super scary. 
I think I already mentioned awful, but even just uh, like grin. Um, I mean, you could add a half hand, but half hand just kind of reinforces the defensiveness. If you're looking at making him an active threat that your opponent has to deal with, grin is a great option. Um, Dario Naharis is a great option. Uh, it's just, you know, adding some offensive potential to them really uh, can skyrocket their uh, their potential. And then going on to the last uh, bracket we have, uh, we're gonna we're not really gonna do ten points. I think what there's two ten point options, um, throwers and uh, Dothraki vets. I think that they're two totally different things, so it's not really worth going over those two. Um, so at nine points, uh, I'm gonna have to throw Tully Cav out there. Um, that one extra point, I think, is and with combined with all of the tools that Starks have, uh, even if you were to put Stark uh, the Tully Cav against the Knights of Castle Rock, I believe that the Knights or the Tully Cav outshine the Knights of Castle Rock, in my opinion. Um, Starks just adds so much tools to them to just make them, you know, super devastating. No pun intended. If you're gonna, you know, throw a devastating impact on them. Um, so Tully Cav, uh, definitely take it for me for, uh, um, best nine point. Um, and granted there's only a handful of nine points out there, but there's enough to kind of, you know, have a discussion about it. Um, and I mean, worth mentioning, uh, that unsullied, uh, sword masters are definitely, uh, really high up there. Um, but just the off, uh, the, the offensive potential uh, that Tully Cav have just they're just uh, easily number one for me. What about you, Evan? There isn't really a lot of options here for nine points. I'm just I'm just looking around at the list of units that we currently have. There is the other nine points unit, um, which is probably can be mentioned, which is Slate Men, um, but this point in time, I don't think the Fleet Man is in a really good position. Um, they simply is not worth it compared to every other faction options that are available. And I think they just got slightly over-nerfed. So moving the discussion away from the Fleet Man, I think Tully Calf is definitely the premier for nine points um, at a basically a slight upgrade over the Knights of Castle Rock. You have five morale and the emboldened ability. And, of course, with the ridiculousness that is a Stark basic deck, they can achieve so much more offensive capability compared to Knights of Castle Rock. Plus, if you have a Rock Commander, they also have cards that are enabling them to free retreat before they attack. So even um, the, the basic tactic of locking down the cavalry unit with basically cheap units is um, you simply can't do that with the Tully Cap under Rock's Commander. So Tullycalf definitely at nine points. Um, I don't think there's any other really contention at nine points. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe Unsullied. At, uh, I just also remember that the Unsullied is at nine points. Um, but again, Unsullied, Unsullied is one of those things that when it was first announced, first released. I think a lot of people have a knee-jerk reaction to Unsullied, and they go like, oh my god, 
this unit can you know deal so much so much wound when they're charging they can you know they have 10 attacks they have precision they hit on two plus they have speed six and people went ballistic over the unsullied and yeah in in, in actual practice they are one of the hardest hitting units that the the targaryen have in their disposal and they have a potential for a lot of spike damages as well especially with barrison commander when you have the um the five plus crit which you know can positively just you know delete a unit on the charge however in practice having a unit of four plus defensive save um you know they're not really defensible um you know a, a charge from a landscaff or a charge even from a, your your humble sworn sword at five points they can definitely start chipping down those guys uh, which are almost twice their point cost but definitely unsullied um, command uh, unsullied uh, both unsullied pikemen and unsullied swordmaster definitely def- uh, men- uh, worth a mention because of just how powerful they are on the field. Yeah, you see an unsullied across from you, you begin to sweat. You go like, oh, I have a three plus armor save. They might not be safe from a charge from an unsullied because they can spike crit with their position, and we'll see how it goes. And in a protected fight, definitely the unsullied will have a, the upper edge because of the Targaryen's mobility cards. So, yeah, there, there you go. That's that's for me. Yeah, I agree. It's you know, unsullied uh, are, I mean, they have so much potential. Like you said, just delete a unit. I think the where the really shine uh, where they don't is just being a cavalry unit, having that extra uh, threat range to just come out of nowhere. Uh, they might not hit as hard on the charge in a lot of cases. Um, and when I say not as hard, I, d- I don't mean by a lot. I mean just by a little bit. And it really comes down to, you know, how many crits you're going to be rolling um, or how many precision. Uh, but the other thing being is the, the Calvary 360 pivot before you go and do, your, do what you need to do, whereas the Unsullied, unless you can get some uh, maneuvering cards through the Targaryen deck, uh, you're going to be able to kind of spin on a dime and change directions, and you're going to be a lot more versatile with the the Tully Cav. I think that's uh, one of the things that kind of makes them shine. Uh, what about you, Chris? I gave the nod to the Unsullied Swordmasters because I used the Targaryens a lot more right now, and just with Targaryen deck right now, especially some of the commanders, Grey Worm, Selmy, can really make these fellas shine. And like Evan said, you know, when they're setting up a couple of units of them across the table, you really start sweating a little bit. Yeah, I mean, especially if you can somehow fit the points in there to have two unsullied, I mean, it can get pretty, uh, pretty scary, especially if you uh, put them not necessarily on the flanks, but like kind of a little inward of the flanks, just enough so where they're covering like, you know, 80% of the table once they've moved up a bit. I mean, it can really get uh, dicey for your opponent. What about you, Brett? Where do uh, you want to finish this off with the last uh, bracket? Uh, I gave the nod to Tully Cav. Um I think Evan pretty well nailed all of their strengths offensively, but I'll just add to it. Um, 
I think initially when Embolden kind of came out, um, I don't think people quite understood how powerful this panic meta is. So being able to bubble a a morale boost to an army that's already fairly strong with their morale is pretty huge. So um, I don't see a lot of double Tully Cav lists. But if you do run double Tully Cav in like a Tully list, like just a tanky, grindy with some decent offense, uh, them bubbling for each other to make them effectively four, and then bubbling to like your Berserkers or if Tully's in Great Axes or Sworn Swords, effectively making them a three. So the army is effectively a three, four, four, uh, and a three, you know, if you're running Berserkers. It's pretty insane. Uh, that's, that's the style that I lean into when I play the Blackfish as my backup commander. It's basically just like an anti-Melisandre, anti-Cersei, um, anti-Freefolk chip damage list. Like, you're, it's, it's like my stark pseudo-faith list. You're just not going to get me with panic damage. You're, you're really going to struggle to do that because my weak link is my Tully Cap because I only run the one unit. But at the same time, if you're gunning everything into my Tully Cab, then that's fine because then the Berserkers get to go do what Berserkers do. And I don't really care that much. If you poured everything into killing the Tully Cab, that means that the Berserkers and uh, Tully and his Sworn Swords have been able to go clean up everything that I want them to clean up. So um, I think Embolden is a little bit underrated as an ability. It's, it's really strong, particularly in this meta, uh, especially in those first round, you know, you go for it and take a crown zap or, or Melisandre really needs to start whittling away at a unit to let the, the damage that she does to her own army mitigate that by really putting a sting on one of your primary units. And they just don't necessarily allow a unit to be picked off so easily. Yeah, that's a good point with the embolden. Um, it's definitely one of those very strong abilities that kind of just gets overlooked as like icing on the cake. But uh, especially if you're running it in a Blackfish list where Blackfish himself is going to add plus two morale to whatever unit he's in. I mean, uh, Starks have so many ways to turn, you know, just above average morale into amazing morale across the board uh, between, you know, uh, Mage, Mormont, uh, you got Brienne, you got Tully Blackfish, either Commander or Attachment, and then you can have the, um, you know, I guess you could even throw, like, Bronn in there if you take the uh, uh, Wealth, and then you got the Embolden from the Tully Cav. Uh, there's just so many ways to make, you know, what is already a above-average morale army into great morale across the board. So that's definitely something to keep in mind when uh, factoring these guys. So, but with that said, I think uh, we've kind of covered uh, all of the point limits. Uh, as I mentioned uh, a few times now, we're going to avoid um, the three-point range because I believe uh, if we're not factoring uniques and all that and we're only doing straight combat units that are released at the moment, uh, there's only raiders. And then at 10 points, it's really just the stone throwers and the Dithraki veterans. And those two units are so widely different that it's not really, I mean, they're not really comparable. They're just kind of both best in their own way. Um, 
So with that said, we're going to kind of wrap things up, uh, give out some, uh, some shout outs to, uh, you know, the usual spots. Uh, definitely check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can also check us out on uh, Blog Talk Radio, which is the site that we do this through. Uh, you can uh, find us uh, recorded on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, uh, you can go to our Discord to either uh, suggest show topics, or you can even uh, suggest uh, some alternate platforms that we can add our content to, because... Uh, we don't really care where you guys listen to us at, whatever is convenient for you. Uh, we just want to get uh, get our show out there and, you know, provide some content for you guys to listen to. Um, you know, so, yeah, just like, follow, and share on all those platforms wherever you can. Um, and then you can also find us on a Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Uh, it's an amazing site uh, where a bunch of content creators have collaborated together uh, to form one website where you can find all of our content together and it ranges from you know article like um written articles battle reports uh casts uh even have some tools as in like an army builder and uh uh a song of ice fire stats.com um so i would go to that site if you haven't already to make an account only takes a second and then what you can do there is you can find pretty much the stats on how well uh, units are doing and uh, what's kind of you know the best uh, in the meta right now and the more info that you put in there just the more accurate it's going to be uh, you know especially if we can get people from all over the world and different metas to kind of mesh it all together to kind of see where everything is at and submitting your results super easy uh, you're talking maybe like 10 seconds per game to of inputting. So let's say you spend your whole Saturday and you play like three or four games. I mean, take you like a minute or two to submit all of it. Um, so definitely check out a song of com. They're one of the content creators, a part of the guild. Uh, other content creators we have that are part of the guild would be uh, blitzmini.com. Uh, go check them out. Uh, they have uh, a bunch of awesome stuff uh, like um, custom sleeves for all the houses. Um, I mean, they put uh, the, I want to say, is it Fantasy Flight um, sleeves to shame? Because uh, before those were like, you know, one of the only options to really kind of go with for sleeves. The sleeves you can get from Blitz Minis are amazing. So definitely go check those out also has YouTube videos. Um, go check out uh, Northern Realm Games, West Coast Bannerman, Mythicoast Studios, Tabletop Warden, and Sunday Slaughter. All amazing content creators, which you can all find in one place on a very, which is Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Uh, yeah, and there's also some uh, partnered retailers you can go um, some graphic freebies. So check that out. The site is very well done, very easy to navigate. Um, you can sign up for the newsletter and, you know, go from there. So definitely something I highly recommend. And, uh, again, you know, try to share that out wherever you can. Um, you know, word of mouth is the best thing you can do for us, uh, to help us grow, you know, not only us, uh, small council radio, but just all the other content creators on there. Um, 
whether it be sharing us on some platforms that uh, maybe we're not a part of yet, or even just your gaming group, you know, just kind of bring it up in uh, in your regular discussion, you know, just be like, hey, have you guys heard of, you know, this, this uh, you know, site? You know, are you guys interested in, you know, hearing some uh, content or reading uh, uh, some content? So definitely go check that out, out for us. Uh, also, we're coming close to a year, uh, a year's worth of content. Uh, we're definitely going to have something pretty exciting in the works. I'm going to kind of keep reminding you guys as we get closer. I believe we are currently at, could be off by one or give or take, but I think we're at 45 episodes now. Once we hit 52 episodes, because there's 52 weeks in a year, uh, we're going to do something pretty awesome. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and it will have something to do with calling in because uh, we do this show live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So that way uh, you guys can kind of call in and uh, ask us questions or even give your uh, your two cents on the topic. Uh, so the, the big surprise will definitely have something to do with uh, people that call in. Because uh, I know in the past we've done more of like a raffle style but uh, I want to kind of promote more of the the live aspect. And I know, unfortunately, it doesn't really work for everyone very well because of the time zones. Um, so uh, we might, I don't know, I, we might do like a bonus episode that's, uh, that um, is like 12 hours later or something, maybe like 8 a.m. on like a Saturday might work for uh, other people, but uh, maybe that's something I'll post in our Facebook page, see what time zone uh, would work best to to hit all the, you know, people that can't make uh, our 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So, yeah, keep all that stuff in mind. Um, we also, uh, you know, if you guys can, if you have a local gaming shop, try to do your best to uh, help them out when, you know, in these hard times uh you never know uh you know every little bit helps whether or not they're open or not just uh you know contact them you know gift cards is possibly an option if maybe they're not selling anything at the moment there's also a lot of places that maybe they're not open but they're also but they're shipping uh product so just keep that in mind um you know if you're currently buying your stuff on like amazon or just some uh, somewhere online um, see if your local is doing something, you know, cause once this is, you know, kind of calmed down and, you know, everything starts going back to normal, you're going to want a place to play. And, uh, the best way to do that is to support your local and, you know, help them, uh, stay in business. So whatever way we can, uh, if you guys don't have a local and you guys are currently just buying online, uh, such as Amazon or just some big, uh, corporation type site, uh, consider buying your product from Family Time Games in Indianapolis or uh, uh, sorry, blanking for a second there, uh, or Games Plus in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Both places are uh, amazing shops. They have lots of Ice and Fire product and are willing to ship. Um, so yeah, keep those in mind. But with that said, uh, thank you so much, uh, Evan, for coming on and uh, giving your insight. Um, you know, it, it's it's always nice to have a guest to kind of, because we can kind of get in our own bubble because we talk, me and Brett and Chris, Jose and Justin, kind of, we talk to each other so often that 
we can kind of get into a bubble where um, we talk about and have a lot of the same opinions about things. So it's always nice to have a guest on here to kind of freshen things up. Well, thanks for having me. Um, thanks, Dave, Chris, and of course, Brett, for having me on the show. Um, and definitely a bit of shout out also to some guys who are still who are listening here from Indonesia. I think I have had some of my guys listening in. It is around like, you know, morning time here. So people are still like, you know, they, they need some things to listen to in the morning. So it's a good timing. Uh, it's a good timing for us. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to uh, share share some of my thoughts with you guys. Um especially now that a lot of people here have resorted to basically using TTS and Discord for a lot of communications. So we're beginning to see like blend of international games coming in, whereas previously about maybe a year ago, we have our own little bubble. You have the quote unquote Asian meta, you have the European meta, and you have the American meta. We don't really talk to each other. We have our own things that are working in our side of the world. But now since everybody's sort of like, you know, coming together, playing international games, sharing our thoughts and opinions now we're you know we're having a lot of different understandings about the game and definitely excited to talk to you guys about you know what what i might we what we have uh we can share a bit so yeah uh, thanks for having me on the show yeah and if you want to plug your uh your content uh where can uh, people find you at so I'm running a small uh, YouTube channel called War Games Indonesia. We upload on a weekly basis uh, some of Ice and Fire Battle Report. We have one coming soon, hopefully today, where we uh, feature some uh, Tormund Giants main against the mountain. So if you're definitely looking for, for those type of contents, battle reports and stuff, definitely check us out at War Games Indonesia YouTube. Uh, come have a look. Awesome, yeah. And then uh, I don't know if Brett has already done it, but we're going to post uh, a link to your uh, your page on our Facebook. So anyone listening, uh, especially if you're listening kind of to the recorded version, just go to our Facebook and uh, you can find a link uh, to that content there. But yes, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you and discussing uh, with you this uh, topic. Uh, it's a topic we've been wanting to do for a couple of weeks now, so I'm glad that we've kind of gotten back into the groove of things and uh, gotten this uh, topic uh, out there. Um, like I mentioned kind of at the beginning of the show, maybe down the line, maybe a couple months from now, we'll do this topic again, but we'll we'll throw everything into the mix. We'll you know we'll throw all the limit ones and uh, the, like the unique units and whatnot, and kind of see where everything falls. Um, I just. I for this one I wanted to take them out of the topic uh or out of the discussion because I felt like it limited the, the potential of what we would all discuss as our number one picks. Um because I feel like some of the uniques kinda like in a lot of cases clearly take the, the slot. So and I wanted to kinda see some diverse uh uh lists for best units. So, and I think that's kind of what we did today. I think uh, we had just enough overlap with a lot of our own kind of takes on what's best for each limit. So, again, thank you guys. Thank you, Brett and uh, Chris, for coming on. Um, and uh, we will uh, definitely be back next week. Uh, this is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, 
Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.